The wealth management industry is changing, technology is rapidly evolving, and global pandemics can change our business model in the blink of an eye. In this series, we look forward and answer this question. What do wealth management firms need to be doing today in order to deliver on the future of advice tomorrow? This is the future of advice. Hello, friends, clients, and fellow financial advisors. My name is Ron Bullis, and I am the CEO and founder of LifeWorks Advisors. My guest on today's show is someone who's consulted and advised many of the leading RIAs, independent broker-dealers, wirehouses, and banks in the wealth management industry, specifically focusing on areas of revenue, growth strategies, and technology. He has decades of experience consulting and working at the intersection of humans and technology. And he's someone that I believe has a very unique viewpoint and insight to share with us around how we can prepare our firms and our practices to win the future of advice. He also publishes what I consider to be one of the best resources in our industry for news and insights on what's going on. It's called the Wealth Management Weekly Report. Welcome to the future of advice, Gavin Spitzner. Good afternoon. Great to be with you, Ron. It is, uh, it's fabulous to be here in New York City. We've got this amazing view of yes. Central Park here in the background. We're sitting in the uh, Peak Six Apex Clearing corporate offices here in, in Manhattan. And uh, shout out to them for letting us use their space to shoot this video. Thanks, Bill. Uh, yes, Wherever thanks, Bill, and the team. <laughs> um, so I've been really excited to have this conversation. Uh, a few friends of mine and people in the industry that I really respect said, you have to get Gavin on the podcast. He has a very unique vantage point. Um, so before we get into talking about the future advice, uh, take us through quick bio background. Who is Gavin Spitzner? What is what do you do with Wealth Consulting Partners? Um, and, and we'll go from there. Very good. Well, great to be with you. Although in some ways it's great to be with anybody these days. Yes. So, uh, thanks for, for meeting with me in person. Um, Gavin Spitzner, president of Wealth Consulting Partners. Um, what do we do? We consult at financial institutions on growth strategies and really the intersection, the alignment of technology, processes, talent, solutions, and work to harmonize those things, align those things to deliver great transformative client experiences. If I had to sum it up, that's, that's, that's how I would say it, although I, I do a lot of things. Been in business 30 years, um, all different aspects of marketing, sales, technology, financial plan, supporting financial planning practices. Um, worked with Merrill Lynch way back in the 90s as they were rolling out their financial planning capabilities hmm. and separate accounts and consulting. So that was part of my formative years. Um, and been working with financial institutions on the consulting side for the past, let's see, six and a half years. So RIAs, banks, broker dealers, the occasional fintech, really at this intersection of business strategy, technology, practice management to help deliver modern, differentiated client experiences. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, you integration of humans, integration of uh, technology, client experience, growth strategies. I mean, we're going to have a lot to talk about because I think they're, you know, the integration of, of human capabilities and technology and doing that right, right. I think is going to be one of the the most important keys to success in the future. So you started forever and ever and ever ago in the industry, but you were never a financial advisor, right? You were Correct. kind of always on the product development, consulting, large corporation side. 
Yeah, business strategy. Yeah. Uh, I was at Prudential a bunch of years. Okay. Doing a, a variety of roles, uh, helped take them public, was involved with the JV with Wachovia, and then very deeply involved with the managed accounts business. And so that took me into the independent space because we took our platform that had served about 9,000 Prudential Securities advisors, and we took that out and we built it out on the internet as we saw this breakaway movement, wire house reps going independent, they wanted to backfill, recreate the capabilities they had on the consulting business at, at their new shops. So we began servicing uh, those types of firms. And then I led the business development effort early on as we started to explore who else needs an open architecture approach, consulting support to drive fee-based business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in, in the last 20 years, right, fee-based business has been yep. the ticket. Absolutely. Right? Um, talk to me real quick too, and if we have some time, I'd like you to share some some work that you're doing with the execution project. So my my coach, Ray Scalafani from ClientWise uh, is also involved in that. I'm kind of just an observer on the outside, but I'm very curious as to the work you guys are doing there. If there's anything that you can kind of share, like how you got involved, what that organization's doing. Sure, that's um, one of my absolute passions. That came about through Steve Gresham, okay. who saw the the need in the space to really attack the the next chapter, the um, this transition. We see 10,000 boomers turning 65 every day, yeah. um, and and um, probably more than that. I think at this point, retiring every day, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, involuntarily, and the industry is really just not organized around that. So they're not um, optimizing how we serve those those clients with solutions, with the way that we engage them with technology. So it's been very much built around that, helping firms think through those strategies and, and how to execute. And it's Hence my, the name. my understanding too, it's, a, it's an interesting conglomeration of people from all different types of companies and different segments of the industry working together to try and solve the, the some next, of these challenges, correct? The next chapter specifically, so, so Steve, Steve and us on the next on the execution project side have kind of galvanized this effort with a, probably 30 different executives in a broad array of providers, mm -hmm. uh, financial institutions that are actively trying to to develop better solutions mm -hmm. for that segment. Yeah, I, it's it's something fascinating for those people that are listening or watching. Uh, if they're not familiar with it, I would highly encourage them to go check out the website and read through what's being done there. Absolutely. Um, I, I just find it really encouraging to see leaders in the industry from different companies and different backgrounds, like collaborating together on, yeah. on something like this. So let's get kicked off with, you mentioned a couple of things uh, with the execution project, talked about you know 10,000 baby boomers a day, you know turning 65, retiring. Maybe a great segue here for you to outline one to many, pick a few of what you think the biggest challenges are that maybe our industry and advisors are facing today. And we'll pick them apart as you lay them out. Well, for me, it starts with time. To deliver the quality and the scale of advice to the people that need it and deserve it takes time. And we have a lot of advisors that are still spending way too much time on things that don't add that much value, that have been commoditized. Yeah. Um, they got in the business because they like picking stocks. Um, we spent a lot of time on all those aspects of portfolio construction, 
trade and rebalancing, things that technology does a whole lot better than humans. So in many ways, I think advisors and, and what they like to do is it's, it's, they become their own worst enemy. It's not what clients are looking for. Clients want guidance. They want advice. They want it to be about them. So our industry is really, you know, if you look at the technology, if you look at the websites of advisors, it's very investment centric. Yes. Um, and it's not about the client. So how do we become much more client centric? So I think, you know, for me, the more interesting um, technology capabilities and solutions are they're the newer ones because they're not encumbered by these historical, these legacy type approaches. And they can start clean to say, if we were building from scratch, which we are, how do we organize everything around the client and make sure we know them intimately and help them know themselves? Mm -hmm. So I think that that for me is where the industry is going is how do we use our technology, use data, the way that we engage with you upfront and then ongoing to help you understand what's important to you. Because we talk about, you know, financial planning and, you know, do I have enough money to not outlive blah, blah, blah. And it's just so basic. It's so rudimentary. Calculators can do that. That's not really hitting people in the gut of what do I do with, how do I apply my wealth, whatever I've done, optimize it and apply it to the things that matter to me. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think I see a very similar pattern where the, you know, if you look at the age dispersion of advisors in the United States, right, it kind of follows the age dispersion of the sure. population. And, you know, the average age of advisors maybe 60 or yeah. something like this yeah. now, right? And they they grew up in an era that was primarily sales focused, stockbroker forward, forward kind of thinking, and then they maybe transitioned into managed money. And a lot of them are still you know, that's where they believe they're adding the value is, well, this is how we design portfolios or this is our investment strategy. And not to say that that stuff's not important. Yes. I get criticized sometimes for completely downplaying that. Yeah. It's important. Um, there's ways to add value there that yeah. not everybody is doing in terms of whether it's custom indexing, tax management, um, certainly wealth transfer yeah. processes and, and solutions. but. My point is, if your calling card is I can help you beat a benchmark by 57 basis points, yeah. that's not hitting me where I live. That's not, it's like, okay, great. And, and you know, there's lots of solutions. There's robo solutions that can do that, keep the cost down. That's not, that's not the value. Yeah, I, I guess and I was agreeing. I think where I was going to go with it was you have this, not even an identity crisis, right? But this reimagining that advisors that have been in the business a long time, I think, have to do. They have to reframe right. um, to steal, you know, something from Ray Scalafani's book. You've been framed. They have to reframe themselves in the value proposition, because right. I do think more and more clients, um, and especially the next gen, right, the the millennial age group. I was called an old millennial by uh, Megan Carpenter on one of our podcasts. That's how she labeled both of us, um, and my generation, I think, is looking at this and saying, money to me means how I want to live, right? It's more about the values and and what I can do with it as opposed to purely a rate of return or what I own. In fact, I'd rather have a lot more control over the types of things that I invest in that align with my values. Right, and we, I mean, we're to blame, the industry, we've conditioned clients to think about the world that way. We haven't taught them how they should think. and, and Frankly, the bar is just very low. 
So mediocrity can get by when we're at all-time highs, bull market, high after high after high. A lot of bad practices can just skate by. And to your point about aging advisors, if you're you know, in your 50s, 60s, and you're in this for another three, five, seven years, you can probably get by. If you've got a, a you know, nice-sized book of clients around your same age, you, can, you probably don't have to change. So, you know, I, I, as I'm advising firms and advisors, I'm saying, you know, are you really focused on growth? Are you looking at this over 10, 20, 30, 50 years, really looking to run a, to, to create a business, a lasting yeah. business? Then now is the time to step back, really step back. And, and like you said, reframe, think about if we were starting from scratch, what would the client experience look like? What would that client journey look like? How do we attract the people we want to serve? What matters to them? And then how do we align technology? How do we use data? How do we even organize our teams and think about roles differently than we may have, how we may have structured our businesses in the past? So great segue, because one of the things I wanted to ask you is about next-gen talent. It's something on the Future Advice, you know, previous podcast that gets brought up, whether it's, you know, the interview with Bill Capuzzi from, from Apex from a custodial standpoint or with, with Megan Carpenter from FICOM Partners talking about building diverse teams. Um, there seems to be lot, lots of discussion here and a recognition of the importance of it, but maybe not a lot of action at the, I'm going to pick on RAAs because I own an RAA, right? Not a lot of action maybe at the RAA level, whether it's compensation models haven't shifted, they haven't thought through what the client experience needs to be and reorganize their teams around this. Talk to us a little bit about the challenge from your vantage point and, and you know, as it relates to recruiting and retaining next-gen talent to deliver the promise we make to our clients. I think about it in terms of intentionality. Um, the excuses I, I see, the talent's not there. I don't, buy that. I don't buy that excuse. It's BS. Yeah, that's BS. It's BS. Okay. All it takes is, is intentionality. Um, and it takes, as I was saying before, it takes perhaps rethinking about team dynamics and structure. So some of the larger firms are actually doing a good job bringing in younger talent, diverse talent, as potentially a tech expert, as a client concierge, somebody that's going to hold the client's hands around digital you know, client portals and, and different things. It's a great way where they're able to um, apply their expertise, help the advisor who may not be as savvy, help the client who may not be as savvy, and start to build a relationship as you start to think longer term, how are we gonna bring these people through um, through, through, a, through a, a work journey, a, a career journey, a career path and help them um, add value over time. Yeah, I think it was in one of your recent, maybe not recent, because I, I read all of them, your, your, your weekly wealth management report, um, where there was, a, there was an interesting, they were talking about the business model and how the industry compensates, kind of this eat what you kill model, right? right? And I still see this at a lot of the large firms. I mean, I started at a large national insurance company and they're a fantastic insurance company, but whatever you sold, you made 55% of or whatever the number was. And, and, you know, if you're a young person graduating college and you're talented and you've got student loans and you're kind of looking at the world and your friends go off to corporate America and they make, you know, 60 to a hundred thousand dollars starting salary and you're at zero, right? 
it doesn't seem to me to be a lack of talent out there. It seems to me that we need a reorganization of thinking about investing in those people. Right. Like, hey, you're very valuable even if you don't have a client to bring in the door. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the traditional models of you can you can be an advisor if you can bring some some group of people through. You're never going to get the change that that we want to see in the industry. So compensation practices, incentive compensation practices, ways to make sure that things are aligned are, is ultra critical. And that goes to not just uh, talent acquisition and, and retention and, and career pathing, but um, behavioral, right? There's still, maybe it's on the larger end of the firms, perhaps less RIA, where things are focused on um, traditional product sales or even just quantity of plans being done yeah. versus quality. So I always say to my clients, okay, it's great that you're measuring how many plans for the firm and per advisor and all of that, but how are you tracking the quality of the plans? And how are you tracking with, with the client what's happening? Where are the gaps to those plans? So that's an area where I'm, I'm really interested in, where I think technology can, can help to better track real time where are those gaps and make it a, a part of an ongoing process where the advisor, the client are collaborating. And I know I've taken us completely no, off no, the no, talent no, side. No, 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 this is an interesting one because I think that, well, one, as a, as a young you know, startup RIA, uh, LifeWorks, we've been trying to figure out how do you measure the quality of a financial plan? Is it, I mean, there's a technical piece that you could very easily, I think, assess. Like, was the math done correctly? Were the outputs, like, was there a level of rigor associated with the work? Sure. But you can have the most rigorous, detailed, technically proficient financial plan in the world and hand that client 100 pages, and they the client goes like, blah, 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 right? Um, how are you helping firms? I want this selfishly for me. How are you helping firms think about measuring the quality? And or what maybe technology it, it, platforms are, are out there that you're starting to see or interact with that are helping with this too. So I, I guess I look at it two ways. There's there's some type of an, uh, of an objective review of what does a quality plan look like? Okay. What, what shows us, and it also ties into CRM, what tells us that we know this client intimately? It's more than, oh, they, they have a retirement goal and a college goal. Oh, we have a financial plan. <laughs> that's that's the easy stuff. That's table it, stakes. So that's that's one thing I, I focus on with firms is is whether it's through the plan or through CRM. Ultimately, I think most advisors saying CRM is my it's my bible. That's if it didn't ha if it's not in the CRM, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, do you are you able to track upfront ongoing? and demonstrate, I know this client, I know what matters to them, mm -hmm. then align that with actions. So more of the behavioral side, are they taking action? And I think this, all, this goes to even how you bring on clients in the first place. Do you have a discipline of not just taking anybody in that has a pulse and, and a few dollars, but this is somebody that values my advice mm -hmm. and, and, and I won't say will, but may follow it, because um, obviously there's a there's a there's the plan, and then there's life, and and lots of shit happens in, yeah. in, in between.
Well, and I, I mean, I've said to new prospects and clients coming in all the time, my job isn't to find a client that just does everything I tell them to do. In fact, that would be boring. Um, but somebody that appreciates the back and forth, the debate, the rigor, the thought process, the trying to ask the right questions right. is in itself the work. Right. That right? wants that kind of relationship. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's the, that is the key. Um, and it's not easy to figure that out up front. But I think a little more time spent up front giving the prospect a taste of this is what working with us feels like goes a long way. And, and yeah. you know, if you have a good client experience in the process, it's going to help you close that business. I've told advisors over the last few years and our team as well that I think the, the robo-advising space and the do-it-yourself space is actually one of the greatest gifts that advisors can have. Because we can say to a client with full sincerity right now, look, you could be the do-it-yourselfer. Like I like to work on my house and do home renovation projects and love the Home Depot that's four miles from my house. And it loves me and my Amex card. Um, I, could I very, just went to Home Depot, you, <laughs> had a blast. <laughs> I could very easily, maybe not so easily right now because finding good contractors is difficult, but I could hire that work away. But I, I, I find a little pleasure in you know doing some of those you know kind of manual labor jobs myself. And so what I've been selling our team and, and other advisors is look, if, you're, if you say to the client, I can help you figure out what you need to go buy at Home Depot, right, in this, in this metaphor, and then you can do it on your own, right. right? And then there's a million, maybe not a million, but there's thousands of really good online robo-advising, free trading apps, do-it-yourself space. Or we say to the client, or you're the person that, whether it's because of your time or you just don't desire to learn it or you'd rather not risk your life savings in this regards, like, that's... That's kind of the division we've set. And then we right. tell people, look, we have a list of like 10 different, you know, online platforms that we think are really well thought out and well designed and, and have a good structure behind them. And they're virtually free. Right. Yeah. Or whether you do that or do it yourself. I, yes. I think you spoke with, with Andrew Jones. Yes. Recently with Facet Wealth. Yeah. I think they've got the right mindset, which is the product is advice, it's the advice. and guidance. Yeah. Investment management. Sure, we can do that. It's an important piece, but it's something that it's more on the technical side and as technology keeps developing, it should allow advisors and firms to do that at speed and scale and provide a better outcome, right? Absolutely. So a question that we've not been um, asking every new client that comes on, but I think it's it's a good one uh, we gotta get better at is just asking the clients, like how how are you going to measure the success yeah, of, of our relationship and our outcome? Right. And if you hear things like, well, each of my investments outperformed the S&P 500, it's like you're not going to probably find value in what we do because we're not measuring ourselves based on outperforming an arbitrary benchmark. Right. That's a discipline not everyone has. And that's that is uh, it's a it's a recipe for long term success. Might might not help you win yeah. everything, but yes. that's OK, <laughs> Well, and I, you know, because those, those clients are going to take you off your game. Yeah. Completely, you can't scale yes. your business when you're serving all these clients that are measuring you in different ways. Well, and I think that one of the one of the key takeaways I had from the first say ten years of being in the business at a, at a again a good insurance company, um, but you know an objective when I started, I remember it well in training. They said, "Look, by the tenth year, you should have a thousand clients." <laughs> now. I, I sat back it. and I sat back and did some simple math and said, well, if I want to talk to every one of my clients just once a year, that's a thousand meetings. I have roughly 200, maybe 225 workdays a year. And I did some math and I'm like, 
at that point, I'm having one meeting a year, four times a day, you know, like, and that's all I do. And what then comes out of that is they talk about segmenting your clients and getting rid of the your small a clients, clients and, your B clients. Your yeah, and clients. I think to myself, like all the promises you made to the people that got you to where you are, you dump them as soon as you can get the the, the client with the larger investment account. It seems to me to be a very self-serving approach that clients, I think, are starting to feel, right? Yeah, I just re- retention rates. That's one of the things that bugs me. Retention rates are off the charts for most advisors and advisory firms. And and there's not that much fee pressure. There's fee pressure on asset managers, not on wealth managers. Teeny tiny decreases um, over the past few years. But I look at that and say, I, I, I don't care. Cl- clients, they don't know any better. Yeah. They accept mediocrity. If you look at the biggest drivers of, of clients leaving, it's not performance, and these stats have been steady for 25 plus years. It's communication, and it, it's it's just service. So you're telling me if you you could do a horrible job planning, even performing, yeah. and if you return my call, that's a, that's good enough. That's not a good that that bar is not where it. Where I mean, it the upside, be. I guess, then for you know next gen growth hungry advisors is the bar is low. And you can some of the you can really set the stage for what you're going to deliver. I am so impressed by some of the young advisors, advisory firms. Um, when I look at how they're building their practices, and I guess they have the benefit of starting from scratch. They've seen what works, what doesn't work. I'm just blown away. I'm mean, some folks in their mid twenties that are standing up practices. Um, just you can just yeah. you see their website, and I've get to know them and like how do they run their practice and I'm, I'm blown away um, the next the next gen is is solid I'm, I'm I'm excited problem is all the assets are with with folks that are content yeah yep they're content and their clients aren't complaining because they don't know any better they don't they don't know what good looks like um, so it's going to be a this is one of those things where not a lot's going to change in the near term but in the long term yeah, well, we're going to be in a very different place in, in 10, 15 years. So wasn't on my question list, but while you're here, let's pick up on it. There's a lot that's talked about about the, the large coming transfer of wealth, right, from the boomers to, and I, I mean, I'm jokingly feeling like maybe the millennial generation is going to get skipped and it's all going to go to like, you know, my teenage kids, which I, what are they, Gen Z or Y or whatever. Um, but that might be a long time for young next-gen advisors to kind of, you know, slog through and grow and, and and pound on doors. The challenge for maybe a, an established firm is going to be how do they retain those assets. So I'd like your opinion on that. And then the flip side is the advice to the next-gen advisor around staying disciplined and waiting for this opportunity to unfold because I, I do believe it's coming. It's just... It's been coming for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> and with people living longer... Um, it's it's uh, keeps getting kicked kicked down the down the street. So I think the, I mean the numbers are the same like every year, fifty trillion, sixty trillion, whatever it is. We're still a ways off. I would not be um, you know over overly emphasizing that as a strategy, but getting to know, um, especially helping the children. To your point, yeah. the the millennials. Maybe the boomers. I mean, there's a lot of boomers that have parents 
that are yeah. doing quite well still, um, helping them and becoming their you know, real life advisor, helping them work with their parents on the things that they should be doing, more longevity planning, uh, certainly wealth transfer strategies, maybe in their lifetime. Again, they just, they don't know any better. Maybe they have a will, a lot don't, but they're not thinking about, and no one's giving them guidance on how to, while they're still here, turn their assets into the things that align with what matters to them. Um, and, and with children, grandchildren, I think good advisors really, they help them think through what makes sense because we see lots of cases where let's say you're very wealthy and you have the ability, the means to, to, you know, really change G2, G3's lives. Is that necessarily a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I've seen some advisors do amazing things, helping them think through what you can do it, but what should you do? And how do you make sure that they're leading meaningful lives and not just living off the trust fund? Yeah, I mean, to, you know, the quote that sits on my wall at my office, it's one of my favorites by Robert Frost. He says, every affluent father wishes he knew how to give his sons the hardships that made him rich. Exactly. Right. Um, and this is an interesting one uh, around helping our clients think through the values and the reason behind it, not just about the money and the technical piece and the dollars right. and stuff like this. Yeah. One of the other challenges that I see in this space, and I'd like to get your take on this, is the the cost and complexity of running a, an independent RIA seems to have kind of come down significantly, like the work that was done by Kitsis with like the XPI Planning Network. It's like anybody can start a scratch RIA and go from there. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, three and a half years into doing it and trying to do it right, looking at what actually goes into the amount of work we've been doing compliance and things like this. So I'm sensing that the trends may be moving in the other direction, that the amount of compliance and complexity and technology that's needed to run an independent firm is actually higher than what I think many advisors might be thinking if they're looking at going independent. Talk to me a little bit about whether I'm wrong in that, I'm perfectly happy to be you know, told I'm wrong, or what you're seeing there in terms of the, the cost, the complexity, the man hours that it takes to actually run you know, an independent RIA. So if I'm an advisor sitting in a warehouse or a large insurance company or maybe a BD and I'm thinking I'm gonna go independent, right? I can do it for $5,000 based on what I read here on this website, I'm gonna go do it. Yeah, that's what do you, the thing. What do, there, what do you there, see then? There's some high profile examples that would make you think that you can do it on, on the cheap. And there's some amazing advisors, solo advisors, that are running hundreds of millions of dollars on a very small expense base. They're the exception, they're, they're not the rule. And um, if you wanna build a, a business, you need to build for scale. And often that means spending more than you might need today so that you've got scalable infrastructure and the capabilities and, and the resources to really grow into it. So it's, and you talk about breakaways, I've seen more breakaways that are onto their second and third move in, the, in three to five years than you, you would believe. We're, wow. Again, like clients, they don't know what they don't know. They hear certain things and they go down certain paths and they find it's not all that it was made out to be. And they realize they're, they're paying too much to some outside a tamp or something. Yeah. Um, they're paying for things they don't need. They've, they've lost control of their process and now they, 
they go to plan B and they take a shot at something. They hear, oh, this tech is good. This They're using this tech. I'm going to use that. And it in no way reflects the way that they want to run a practice, the, the clientele that they serve. So you know, my mantra is always slow down. Who, who do you serve? Who do you want to serve? What's your client journey? How do you take them from? How are you attracting them? How are you managing them through the life cycle? Then figure out your technology and how does it all come together? And most, they, they underestimate the complexity of trying to build something. That's why you see one of the areas I'm most, most fascinated by, and we've got some, some common friends doing this, we're on the RAA side, they're basically creating what I would call an RAA TAMP. Yes. Yep. Building out, doing the hard work of the technology integration providing support and services around it. So that as an advisor, I don't have to do that. If that's not my DNA, I'm not a a builder. I want to just focus on growing my business, serving clients. I'm happy to pay, whether it's percent of revenue, basis yep. points, for somebody else to have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the recent news with, with Mariner acquiring advice period and, you know, Marty Bicknell and Steve being friends, what I, what I took away from that whole thing was understanding where you really want to be in the space. Do you want to be the business owner, the executive, or do you want to be the person serving clients? There's not a right or a wrong there, right? I had this conversation with, with, with Marty was most advisors really get into the business because they love serving people. And then it's kind of like the e-myth, right? For Michael Gerber, they wake up a few years or a decade later and they're spending more time doing compliance and managing people and dealing with legal stuff. And they're like, I, this is, I don't want not, this. Not why I got in the business. Not why I got in the business. Yeah. Right. It's, um, and things evolve. I think people change and they sometimes, I think the, the, the perception at least it's easier than ever to do it has turned a lot more people into business owners. Yes. Um, but then you also see all the M&A going on to, yeah. to that point. I think that's, that's one, there's a lot of drivers, but that's one of them. We're, Folks wake up and they say, "I'm, I'm not doing the stuff I love. I'm, I'm I've turned into a, into a chief compliance officer. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> I turned into the guy saying no to everybody on my team. Right. Yeah. So that's when I see, especially in the, probably the one, two, five billion range. When when firms are selling, it's often that where you have partners of that firm saying, "Hey, we we've grown like crazy. This has been amazing, but." I'm not doing the stuff I love anymore. I, I, I'm willing to give it, give up some of the equity, give it all up, whatever it is, and be able to monetize that, but then also to reshape what I'm doing day to day. So in this, in the kind of the setup here, we've been talking about some challenges. So you mentioned time, right? And, and I think that uh, the time that it takes to deliver the service to the client, technology is going to be the answer for some of that. Sure. But is potentially another answer going to be like hyper specialization in our industry, where people are going to get very niche or very unique about their service offerings and, and build to a certain size? Like, do you see that as being you know a trend that's that's coming? It's happening. Um, probably not. The examples that are out there tend to get amplified. Okay. So I'd say the reality is not we're not there yet. Yep. But it's. Whether it's within a smaller practice that just specializes in dentists or pilots or whatever, doctors, whatever, um, 
or a bigger firm, this is something I'm starting to see, bigger firms that start to almost look at like a hub and a spoke and, and have that mm. common set of resources set of resources that everyone can benefit from, but then you can spoke it out around specialized capabilities. So even some of the bigger firms are, are starting to explore that. It just, it makes all the sense in the world because you can scale that then, you can scale, you're gonna attract people so much better where that you're just known, oh, if I'm in this cohort, Ron's Ron's the guy for me. Yeah. Ron knows the, the space, knows my specific issues in terms of cash flow, you know, whatever it is, um, and can advise me better. So from a from a lead gen standpoint, it's you know, lead gen on steroids. But then also in terms of the resources that you bring to bear. So we talked before about things like next chapter, people with longevity planning issues. If that's the clientele you're serving, and if I was an advisor, that's who I'd be serving. <laughs> it's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so much more that can be done. Then you can really shape a client experience, shape the resources you bring, and personalize not just the financial advice, but the non-financial content, the things that matter to me, and, and look for ways to scale that. Mm -hmm. Do you see our industry and this is shifting a little bit to talk about the future, I still want to be on the challenges, but do you see our business model maybe starting to evolve to look more like a professional services model like law firms and CPA firms have kind of grown to, or is that not something that we're likely to see in our industry? I hope so. <laughs> I, Expound that's, on that. That's, for, for me, that should be the aspiration, is that, that the financial advice business is seen as a profession. Um, not as a sales industry. Not as a sales yeah. industry. As a profession, all the talk, and I think most of it's just inside baseball advisor to advisor around fee models and asset-based fees are the wrong way and it should be fee for certain, all these things. There's something there. I'm not saying that that's not relevant, but it's not the core issue. The core issue is, is as a profession, you don't, when your doctor sees you and, and she gives you, uh, you know, consultation and prescribe, you're not saying, eh, I don't, I don't, wait, you want to charge 800? Eh, maybe 600. I, it, or I'll hospital, take this medicine and this medicine, but not that right. medicine. Hospital whatever. bills, yeah. people dispute, and that's that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's a product. You can almost yeah. look at it as a product. But, Consultation, professional advice. Um, if you do a good job delivering that, it should be seen as just like doctor, lawyer, accountant. I'm paying a fee, however that fee is calculated. If I feel like it's a fair fee, I'm paying that for the benefit of your advice. One of the things that drives me nuts and my team always teases me because they say my one of these things is like I have a hundred things. But um, our industry allows advisors to use titles interchangeably. Financial advisor could be a wirehouse person, could be somebody at a large insurance firm, could be an independent RAA like myself. We could have completely different comp structures, completely different incentives. Um, I might be working at a firm that manufactures products and so therefore like I have to sell a certain percentage of them. Uh, talk to me about whether you think that it would be wise for our industry to try and push towards maybe where 
again, the, the other professional services or we're, we're using medical as an example. This is a good one, right? You don't want to go see a, you know, a cardiothoracic surgeon when you've got a, a foot and ankle problem, or maybe the worst, you go and see a foot and ankle person and you've got a problem with your, your heart, right? When people go and see a doctor, they're going for like, I know I need to go see this type of doctor. Right. I wonder if our industry needs something like that. And I'm more to the libertarian end of the spectrum of thinking of, around this, but some definition of you're a financial advisor, you're a fiduciary. You're a financial representative and you sell products. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing, but you have a different incentive. Like, do we need something like this? And I know this maybe revolves around the reg BEI right. and, and this kind of conversation, but even outside of that, like a clearer delineation of, of roles and titles and what that means or I'm is skeptical. it an education thing? Yeah, I'm skeptical okay. that, that that that's that's really going to solve it. Um, you know, I don't personally. I don't. I don't discriminate in terms of advisors in different channels. There's great advisors Agreed. at wirehouses, at insurance firms, banks, RIAs, and there's bad advisors in every single them, channel. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the ways I think about it is I'm excited about more national brands, national RIA brands that through the, the dint of their scale and awareness, it just starts to convey what good advice should look like regardless of the title, but raises that awareness of this is, this is the bar because that does not exist today. The, the national brands are... Like I said, they, good they advisors. Don't exist. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not on the REA side. Not on correct. the REA side. Yep. Some starting to to get there, starting to see the full page ads and TV commercials with 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 a handful. But um, I mean, just look at the massive deals done in the past year, year and a half. You're getting more and more firms that are at the fifty billion, seventy billion, and and growing. So I think in five years it is going to look quite different. And and through that. To your point, I think regardless of title, that's going to start to That'll raise drive awareness. That. Yeah, yeah. And my side, I you know I agree. I think there's good advisors in every channel. It's just a it's a it's a thought I've had around how do we help the consumer sift through all the noise too, right? Um, and 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 can we do that as an industry better? I think right. you know to your point, raising the standard of of excellence, um, and that being driven by some large, very successful. You know, firms will will be helpful, right? And and it's a challenge because you've got large retail brokerage firms that are claiming that position themselves. Correct. Um, I won't name them, but you know who they are. Yeah, big custodians, retail brokerage firms that have advice arms. They are staking that claim and and building awareness around CFPs and fiduciaries and 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 all of that. So, I think. Yeah, there's a difference between dealing with a CFP and having half an hour access a year to do a basic financial plan yeah. and having somebody, and it goes back to your point about time. Yeah. The, and and you're, I was going to come back to your, your early career point about a thousand clients. Yeah. How can you, what you can, can you do for a thousand clients? So I, I see these books at different firms, hundreds and hundreds, and, and even going the other way, clients, investors that say they work with a financial professional, I think are way exaggerated because it could be somebody I bought a product insurance from. policy, a pr product from six years ago. I, I don't have a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. 
I had I might say I did because that's all I needed them for. That's all I thought I needed them for. Um, I just feel like the the we are so under delivering advice to people. I mean, there's a there's a I don't know a few million people that are probably in, in a true advisory relationship today um and they just we're not doing a good job conveying to them the way that they can engage that works for them where it's not the the traditional world of either you're a complete delegator the old world the wirehouse world or you're a complete do-it-yourself today especially younger people they want some kind of a hybrid yeah you've made that 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 point before where you could even say to them look the asset management part, here's some ways you can handle that, some good firms. I could do that, but it's not the it's not the lead. Um, and and finding different ways to attract those people and and understand the way that they want to engage because clients want to be more involved with a lot of things, which ends up being a win-win because it frees up the advisor time. Um, I think a lot of advisors, they just think like robo and digital advice, that's the enemy. That's not complimentary versus, wow, that's a, if I do that right, that's a better client experience. They're more engaged. They want to be able to turn dials and get involved with that. Frees me up as well to yeah. focus on the things that add value. Yeah. I think um, building a service offering for clients whether they're from backgrounds that didn't have, you know, parents that had advisors. I, I do think that there's a, that there's more of a socioeconomic issue that's at play, right? I mean, I grew up in a family that didn't have a financial advisor. My, my, you know, dad's a police officer and my mom homeschooled me and then, you know, went back in and, and was a public school teacher. And it wasn't that they didn't know what financial advisors were. We just didn't probably have the financial resources. So when I was young growing up, I didn't think anything of financial advisor. And when I, went to college and then started my business. I didn't think anything until one of them came knocking on my door and I was like, oh, there's a group of people that do this, right? So the I average mean, the average, the average person, person doesn't. They, they, they still, if, if they have any perception, it's the old perception, which was financial advisors were my, the only way I could buy stocks yes. and bonds. They were my conduit. They controlled the keys to the kingdom, so I had to go through them. So stockbroker or insurance salesman i've had i mean this is anecdotal but we've had people over the last couple of years that are you know roughly in my age run that said yeah i talked to my dad's you know advisor at, at a big company and he told me to come back when i have a million dollars saved up right you know their account minimums were half a million or a million and i remember this guy saying to me a couple of years ago and it's been part of why we've designed lifeworks to have no account minimums like no asset minimum size as he's like when i get to a million if i've already done it on my own I don't need him then. Right. He's like, I want somebody now to help me figure out, like I've got kids and student loans and taxes and a job and employee benefits. And he's like, I just want to pay somebody to help me with that. Right. right. Yeah. Where, uh, give me a great digital interface. Yes. And I don't need to take up lots and lots of your time. Yeah. You know, it could be a touch point. Right. It could be a touch point, you know, two, three times a year. It's not like my financial plan in, in my life, things are changing daily. Like my probability of success went from 94 to 95%. Yeah. It's, it's, I want somebody that I can talk to, make sure I'm on track, 
But then more importantly, when life happens, when things happen, that's when I really, I want somebody. So as an advisor, I need to make sure I've got those, those beacons, those listening um, posts available so that they know they can get me and I'm here for them. I mean, that, that, that's, as a client, that's what I, I want. I want somebody that I feel like cares about me, wants to know what's going on in my life, obviously has expertise um, and is, is accessible. Like I never would want to feel like I'm bothering somebody. And I, and I see that. Yeah. You see clients that's like, oh, they're hard to get a hold of. I don't want to bother them with this or that. Yeah. That's. Well, I mean, we live in the, the Netflix era, right? Like I think clients have a similar, and I'm, I'm the same way. I'm probably, you know, the client everybody would want to have and then also not want to have because when I need something, I want full attention and I want to address something in my CPA right now getting my extended tax returns done. Um, but then I can, you know, I don't need it right now. I've got other stuff to do and I'm super busy. I don't think about it. Right. Somebody's handling it, right? Okay, good segue to maybe shift gears. Um, unless you can think of a couple, I mean, we've covered a lot of challenges that the industry face and, and they're all opportunities, right? Um, I do think the, the something you said just made me think about the, I used to think of technology, and I probably even said it today a little bit, it, it's there to enable the process you want to deliver. I am starting to come around to, to say that's not enough, and technology can, can do more to actually provide that blueprint mm-hmm. and, and, and use the tech, in essence, to build in, construct a best practice that then guides the behavior of both the, frankly, both the advisor and the client. Mm-hmm. So that's, we'll probably get to to some of these things and where I see the innovation coming, but that's an area my mind has started to- To shift. Shift on. Yeah, so perfect segue. I was going to say, let's you know, shift from the challenges the industry faces to the opportunities, right? The, the name of the, the podcast series, The Future of Advice. So the, the loaded question, right, is, is what does Gavin Spitzner believe the wealth management industry is going to look like in five years, 10 years, and 20 years? Wow. It's not going to be one thing. No, no, yeah. Um, there's, there's room for, for lots of different But let's pick up on where you, just, where you were going, though, with the, the not just relying on technology to make it faster or easier for me as the advisor, but actually the technology being smart. Right. I'm not going to, I mean, I hate using the word artificial intelligence because I think it gets batted around like a ping pong ball. And I look at AI as, I mean, there are some true artificial intelligence capabilities out there. But for the most part, when I think about this business, yeah. I think about it as augmented intelligence, yeah. not yeah. artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's an area that there's some really cool things available now and coming down the pike that back to time, mm-hmm. it's, it's not magic. But it's taking the time to program your tech stack, your data in ways that make surface insights to you and to your clients more effectively. Where you're using machine learning, you're using natural language processing capabilities like that infused into CRM to surface those insights where it's helping you anticipate things. I mean, I think that as a client, that's what you want more than anything. It's like, you should know people like me, not exactly, but generally, and the types of things that we will will or should be dealing with coming up before they become 
a problem. That's what I want. Yeah, like Google Google Maps telling me while I'm driving that I shouldn't take this route because traffic. And they know that because there's 1,000 or 10,000 or how many people that, that are plugged into their system that are sitting stuck on a highway somewhere. Yeah. And their system goes, oh, there's a traffic backup and reroute. Right. And it could be, it could be, this gets a little big brotherish, but just to give you a sense of the, the possibilities, through data that you might get through a client portal and, and the fact that the client, you've built the trust, they want you to have access to everything in their financial life, investing, spending, all that. You can pick up some things. I mean, one of the classic examples is you see somebody you know, buying some, buying a crib, something, getting ready for having a child. That that okay? You can have we had the right conversations? Yeah, around around those things, or um, they're searching for maybe you've got some good content about retirement planning on your site. And they start to engage with that. Okay, now, even if we don't have a planned meeting for three months, I want to get to them right now. And say, what's going on, Ron? What are you, what are you thinking about? Let's talk about what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we could spend a whole session just on, on that retirement transition. We've got more people than ever, voluntarily or involuntary, involuntarily retiring early. Mm-hmm. I just saw a stat. I think it was. Forty percent of people want to retire before they're sixty-five. The numbers of people that are retiring even earlier are off the charts. Um, so there, there's so much to be done there, and help help people anticipate that, think it through, and do things that they might not even have thought possible. Because on the flip side, the best how would I put it? The best savers and investors that are in the best possible shape are often the ones that don't know how to downshift and they can't spend and they can't, even if financially they could maybe not retire, but stop full-time work and start to do some different things earlier. They don't know how. Mm-hmm. For me, that's, and I've taken this completely. No, no, track, no. But yeah, good. This is an advisor that can help a, a, let's say a couple or an individual think about those things you know, really in a deep way, you've done an amazing job saving. You've got possibilities now. And maybe while you're, when you're 63, you want to downshift, keep your hand in something and actually do more work when you turn 70, part-time work. But you can afford to go, you know, Go to cooking school. Go to do to do those things. Right when you're active, because I mean we we've got all the stats that show. Um, you mentioned weekly reader. I just had a thing about spending patterns, mm-hmm. and and um, and what it shows most people just take the RMD, and it's not aligned to really spending patterns over time, and it's just such a I mean it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen this personally. We all have examples of people parents, aunts, uncles, friends that they don't know. And they, you know, if somebody was guiding them, they might have said, you know what, I can do something. I can do something different. I can afford to do it. Yeah, it's almost like uh, not giving them permission, but teaching them how to reframe so that, you know, spending down what they've now accumulated all their life, that that mental switch from I'm building and building and building to now, okay, maybe no more paychecks coming in. And now it's okay if it goes 
down, right? Um, your, your point is actually really, really a good one in that I think part of winning the future of advice is going to be building educational tools and the communication tools that are going to be needed so you can have these frequent conversations with clients in real time. I mean, I was just out west visiting uh, some clients and, you know, great savers. They've now both fully retired. They're in their, their like late 50s, maybe just turned 60. And we were joking about they're still in frugal, like, saving mode. Like, I think we were having a conversation about buying an expensive golf putter or something like this. And I was like, you know, without even looking at your financial plan, guys, go buy it. Right. I, I, I know you're okay, right? We've looked at the math six ways from Sunday, and this $500 expenditure is not going to, like, shift it. Right. And we just had a fun conversation about that, but I think, you know, those things have to happen more frequently. Right. And you use the word permission. I think a lot of it is actually giving them permission, treating them and having the kind of relationship that you would have with your own mother. Yeah. That's how I look at it. That that's that to me is what we aspire to. And you what you would want you would want your mother to be uh, have a relationship with an advisor that would care about her the way you care about her and the expertise and the coaching ability to actually get them to live their life to the fullest and feel confident and not afraid to spend, uh, you know, whatever it is, 15 bucks a month on Netflix and, and be able to watch things or, or go on a trip or whatever it is when they can still take advantage of it. Yeah. I think that mental shift is understated. I've built some anecdotal rules of thumb that I, um, counsel our clients on most of my clients that I still have some handling or uh, interactions with our, our, our business owners, entrepreneurs. And I always tell them, look, as you get ready to sell your business, you should really have a very solid game plan of what are all the things that you're actually going to do to stay engaged mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, when you stop, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hours on your business. Because if you don't have that already pre-planned, if you can't answer the question, what are the things that I've always wanted to do that I can't do right now because I'm working? Like if you don't have an answer to that question, you're going to retire. It's not going to be fulfilling. You're going to maybe bounce back into work or, you know, start staring at your retirement account balances every day. <laughs> and, and think about that as hard as that is with an individual. Now look at that with a couple. Yeah. Where you've got people that probably haven't done a good job talking about these things. What does life after full-time work look like? What do we want to do? Where do we want to live? How are we going to spend our time? That's, that's, when you talk about the future of advice, I think I'm hopeful that that's a big part of it, which is much a much better job getting both parties of a couple, whatever that means, engaged in those deep conversations because they probably are not equipped to do it by themselves. Yeah, I think thematically what, what, what this sounds like is this idea of, of life coaching or, or facilitated, you know, kind of like strategic planning conversations. I mean, your, your background's in strategic planning and consulting, right? So that's what I'm hearing when I, when, when you say something like that. Yeah. The future, I'll say it this way, the future of financial advice involves a lot more crying mm. in a good way. I, I heard and I stole that. If I have a superpower, it's, it's my networking, stealing the best things from all kinds of different people. And I, I'm, Somebody told me this recently. We're talking about what, what, how do you know if you, if you did a good job engaging 
in this case, it was a, a husband and wife in a in a planning conversation, and they said, if there were if there were tears, then then we know we went to a real place. It wasn't about the numbers, things that a calculator can do, or Monte Carlo. It was we went to a deep place about what the money's actually for. So future financial advice, more crying, um, but in a positive way, in a, in a in a cathartic way, yeah. I think, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think that is, uh, I'm not a big crier myself, although um, I can <laughs> not appreciate, no, no, but I can appreciate the, the wisdom of bringing empathy into a business that oftentimes becomes very technical. Maybe advisors, and I'm projecting myself here, I, when I was younger, I used to think that my value is in my technical expertise, right? My ability to blend a lot of different knowledge of taxes and this and this and this. And, um, you know, five, six years ago, right before we started LifeWorks, uh, one of the things that hit me was um, a conversation with my dad, who again is in law enforcement and um, was just a, had an incident that was a close call. And I just remember mm. saying something to him like, I'm not ready to be you yet, dad, so you gotta, you know, stay tight. And he was like, well, you're, you're very much ready. And I was like, well, what does this even mean? So I read a book called The Council of Dads, beautiful book. I recommend everybody reading it. It's about uh, an author who's named Bruce Feiler. He just has twin daughters and he finds out he has cancer. And so he starts journaling um, you know, this, this event. And it starts out with him thinking about all the things he's gonna miss about his kid's life, right? Graduation and kindergarten and this and this and this. And at the end of the first chapter, the whole thing flips and he says, but what are my daughters going to miss about not having a dad? And how do I fill that? And so he writes eight letters to eight different men and says, will you step into my daughter's lives and be their council of dads, teach them to love to travel, teach them to face their fears. And each chapter is one of these stories. And I'm, where I'm going with this is the emotional response to thinking about the life's work or the money that somebody saved, the financial aspect of it gets translated at the heart, right? Where the decisions actually should be made, which is, why did we do this? That's, that's when it hits home. I had an experience like this recently. Um, I, I got a little emotional where my daughter, who's about to be a senior in college, got a job offer uh, for after she graduates. Um, and I just had this little moment, like whatever we were able to do to put her I mean, she did all the work, but to help put her in a position to succeed, that's what it was for. That's what it was, it's like those moments, that's when it all makes sense. And, and you made me think too about the, the technical and the emotional, back to team dynamics and, and um, talent acquisition, all of that. That is an area where I see RAAs, some of them, some of my clients getting very smart about how they structure things and say you know this we need we need both we need the technicians and we need the people with high eq yeah and we need to be very intentional about that and making sure we've got both and they're they're teaming on 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 clients and we're using them effectively versus looking to have one person embody all that it's that's very as as you know very rare mm -hmm. Yeah, and we built a team practice uh, when we set LifeWorks up, and, and I would, I mean, I would tell every advisor listening, if you have the ability to build a team around you that has a shared vision for how you want to serve your clients and, you know, some alignment of values, 
finding people, whether you use the Enneagram or the DISC or you know different tools to try and understand communication preferences, EQ, uh, things like this. Um, it's been tremendously helpful for us, right? Um, you know, I, again, I admitted my my initial frame when I started was always thinking about the technical aspect of it, and I'm oftentimes short to like kind of cut to the the problem, like oh, we can go do this and start running with it without, you know. And then my my team will sometimes remind me like, no, we got to step back and and relay the framework for why this is important right. before we go in and talk about what the solutions are, right? right. right. So and the future- especially in a Back to my point about dealing mm-hmm. with a with a couple, yeah. Um, even more pronounced, there, there's research yeah. that says people, individuals or couples, they want to deal with a diverse team. Yes. They don't want solo male, solo female. They want diversity. Yeah. It's and and back to retention and 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 how do you grow with people over time? That's going to put you in a, in good stead to to be able to do that. So the future of our industry, 5, 10, 15 years out, starts looking more like, and I hate using the word life coach because I think that's a bastardized term, but it starts looking more like coach, right. strategic facilitator, right? Guide. Guide. Expert guide. Um, certainly very d- digital yeah. is going to be a big part. It's not the the only piece, but... Uh, you know, people w- want to have access when they want it, how they want it. So, you know, the ability to customize a a digital experience. We haven't really talked about the the tech, which is which yeah. is fine. But um, that's one. Of the, that's probably the top one of the top things I get uh, asked about it and and looking for support around is how do we make our digital presence match everything the, the we physical, just talked about? Mode. Yeah, because. We do all this great life coaching and planning, but then the portal shows market values and performance. Doesn't support it. <laughs> like, what just happened? That, there's a disconnect. So that's something I'm excited about is there's some some good things out there and coming that much do a much better job um, reflecting that experience and making sure that we've got the ability to collaborate in that environment on the things that matter to me, which might be different next week and, and next year. So without, I mean, and maybe you can specifically, I think it, I think everybody listening would love to hear if you have some suggestions around tech platforms that are either existent right now or that are that are coming. Um, I think a lot of the listeners to this would be would be very interested in hearing your thoughts on where they could find something like that because I have heard this before that the the client portal lags significantly relative to the in person experience. Let's say. Well, I won't name names, okay. although I, 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 my instinct is to turn the tables and ask you about LifeWorks. <laughs> so we'll, yeah. I'll get you on mine and we'll, 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 we'll do we'll, that one. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so th- not specific names, but yeah, the, the traditional planning companies, yep. they're moving in that direction. So I think there's better stuff coming. But back to my point about RIA built capabilities. Yes. I mean, you know you're... Practitioners, we just saw this with with our, our friend Lakshin and yep. and Vanilla, um, d- different capability but similar uh, uh, approach of you know what you want and now the ease of access to building out technology we're in such a different place so there's some very cool specialized capabilities that are there coming there's some neat things internationally that are starting to come into the U.S. so I think that's that's an area where 
it, I'm probably speaking on both sides of my mouth because on one hand, I want to say most advisors are not builders and shouldn't be yes. thinking about, I'm going to go cobble together this and this and this and this and this and put it together. There's some that can do that. And they're using Zapier and all these great things. Most are not. So, um, you know, with APIs, with, with connectivity, and with some people that are kind of building those preset Lego blocks, mm -hmm. it is more, it's more doable now than, than it has been. So mm -hmm. that's having a more customizable planning-centric client portal with collabor collaboration capabilities, um, content. Mm. That's an area where we're starting to see some capabilities, some marketing capabilities where you can personalize and use the AI to say, what are they engaging with? How do they like to engage you? Do they like videos? Do they like emails? Do they How want long to text? Do they watch it? When do they watch it? Right. Yeah, things right. like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's um that's not tech just for tech's sake. That that is meaning the most of the firms that are furthest ahead, we talked about AI briefly mm -hmm. on AI, they've come around to say it's not the real value is not next best action, like what's the next best product I can sell? It's engagement. Yeah. It's how do they engage, what can we learn from that? And then how can we better serve up content mm -hmm. at the right time through the right device, mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah, because products or advice or, or even the monetization of the relationship will probably, I would think, follow behind whether it's even prospect or client engagement around content and, and, and what you're bringing to them. They have to see that value right. there, yeah. Right. And if you do a good job, the, the, the solution, you're not selling it, it's yeah. just, like, okay, if this is what matters to you, you're trying to, to fund these goals or create this kind of income stream. Yep. And you've built that trust, it, that just becomes the, the default. In fact, that's where I'd say advisors should look at what some of the robos are doing, where they're starting to lead with planning mm -hmm. to a much higher degree. When it comes to the investment, the model selection, all that, you go through and I've opened up like yep. 50 of these things to try them all. It, it, they're very smooth. And it gets yes. to the point where I don't question, it's not like, is this the right investment vehicle or how much what? It's like, oh, to do what you just helped me uncover, I it's need. It's a three minute setup. Boom, right. boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I've asked advisors and, and firm leaders around the country the last couple of years and some of them in my coaching group, like how many of you, actually I did this when I got, uh, first got into Scratchworks and, and was giving some of the pitch. I said, take 10, people on your team and give them a small stipend to open investment accounts at robo advisors and video and chronicle you know like the process and just say like we need to take the best that the leading robo advisors are doing ease of opening accounts speed of access you know on demand content and and right. even the the goals based planning part yes that's the part that that is really interesting there you know don't don't kid yourself. There's there's big firms and there's somebody in her garage right now building, trying to use tech to build out self-driving money, exactly. planning, yep. building the behaviorals, all of that. Um, but look at how they're doing that. Where I think I wrote about this in one of the weekly readers. Um, could have been about Vanguard and Vanguard Digital. Mm -hmm. I started going through this process and I'm like, this has taken a little longer than I than I thought. But as I'm doing it, I'm saying, 
you know what? I'm getting something out of this. The, based on the questions that they ask, and they're very smart about the questions that they ask, I'm learning something about myself. I'm getting value beyond opening the account yes. out of this process. Very clever. There, there's, a, there's an art and a science to that that we could all learn from. Mm. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, I'm going to have to go do that one because it's been a while since I've opened an account on there. I'm going to have to go check that one out. What are some of the things that... I won't say... I mean, the question would be keep, keep you up at night about what's going on in our industry or, or with advisors. But if the frame of people that are listening are mostly financial advisors and, and owners of RAAs, things like that, what are some of the things that you think should be keeping us the owners and the financial advisors up at night? What should we be worrying about and thinking about? Other than my 16-year-old driving right now. <laughs> It'll all work out. Gosh. Um, I, I look at things. Business is good, right? Yes. There, there's... I won't say it's hard to mess up, but it's it's almost hard to mess up because, like I said, the bar is low. Markets at an all-time high. We did see a big jump in 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 clients looking for advisors for the first time coming out of through and out of COVID. So the demand is there, the opportunity is there. So I I, I don't look at it as keeping me up at night and negative. I, I what keeps me up at night is or what should be keeping them up as night is is what more we could be doing and and i think we avoided maybe using the term d- democratization of, we of did. advice we did yeah but, but to 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 take that because that is one of my motivating forces at this point in my career it's everybody you know whether it's it's looking at how you save better earlier more often spending patterns up to the ultra wealthy and, and and making sure that they're able to use what they've worked for. I think I saw a said that 80% of the ultra high net worth are self-made, that it's not through inheritance. So back to your point. That would not surprise maybe, me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so helping them, at, at, you know, what, whatever point of the wealth continuum you are, make confident decisions and not have money be a negative. Um, I just look in real life. I look at you know, people know I'm somewhere in the business, friends, and like if something happens, a divorce or something, they're like, "Do you have suggestions? You know, who can help?" And it has nothing to do with investment management. It has everything to do with: Is this somebody that will take the time to listen to me and find out? what I'm thinking about and, and and help me think about the things I don't even know to think about and make better decisions. Um, I mean, this is the, the back to keep it, what keeps me up. These are the things that keep clients up at night. Yeah. I mean, people wake up in the middle of the night and it's like, am I going to be okay? Yeah. Or uh, even positive things could be negative because now it's like maybe an inheritance. It scares the hell out of people yeah. a lot of times. Um, look at all the track record of lottery winners. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same track record from what I've read as people that have large inheritances. Right, right. Right? Usually within 10, 10 plus years, it's evaporated. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, that 
I mean, it might sound silly, but that's what keeps me up at night is how do we go faster to be able to serve more people better? And that, that is looking at technology, um, not as the answer, but part of the answer to scale good advice delivery in ways back to maybe where we were at the beginning, ways that people can consume yeah. that it actually drives behavior, not like... Um, not not delivered in a way where it might be mathematically correct, but not received in a way where people feel like, oh yeah, that makes sense for me. Yeah, and you've mentioned a couple of times, and I think this is an important word that uh, you know gets stressed to me by my business coach all the time: scalable. Right? Can you build a model where you can deliver valuable advice to? a range of, of like wealth holders, wealth creators, right? Um, and do it at scale, right? right? Meaning, can you build a system that, you know, maybe you have a certain number of advisors for every client or for every numbers of clients, but you can repeat it and, and grow it. Then you have a business. Then you have, you're part of the democratization of finance, which is also something that I'm super passionate about, right? Which is, you know, we live in a world where everybody has access to pretty much all the same information but yet we have some of the lowest like financial literacy um, you know, of any of the developed countries, right? Um, and this idea of, of democratizing both the educational components of it and the delivery um, and being able to say, look, we can, you know, that's why I, I love what Apex does, right? We can, we can open investment accounts for you know, a young person and, and have $100 in the account. And, and while we're not running our firm on that one $100 account, like that account is still profitable for us because we built for scale. Right. Now, how, yeah, how you, how you scale, make it a repeatable process and really think about it around education, mm -hmm. not textbook type education, but real life. I, back to my daughter, I think about all these people coming to the workforce most of them don't have a clue. Maybe they had a personal finance class in high school, but maybe, maybe not. And even if they did, you know, and, and they want to be told. They want to be not like told in the sense of you, you must do this, but they kind of want to be told like people in your situation that are doing X, Y, and Z. Right. Yep. It's, it's the TikTok generation. Yeah. When she, she went to uh, Chicago recently. I'm like, all right, how are you kind of figuring out what you're going to do? TikTok. They go to TikTok for everything. Watch some videos, look some influencers, plan their life. It's scary, but at the same time, I don't want to be, you know, this this doom and gloom. There's actually some good stuff, but how do you sift through it? And how, how as an advisor, advisory firm, through personal conversation or, or resources you make available, how do you inform in a way that, like TikTok, where they feel like, oh yeah, they're talking to me in yep. the style that 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 connects to me. It's a skill set. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not on TikTok. I I hope to avoid it, but I could see, you know, I mean, we do a lot with Facebook and Instagram and, and yeah. YouTube, and and while we're not, you know, Navy SEALs in the digital space, maybe compared to some of our peers, we might be considered to be quite proficient there. But there's there is something to be said for how TikTok. And, and platforms like that can connect to people at scale and still make it feel personalized and relevant. Right. And, and there's something to be learned there. All right, three final questions. The 
This is my favorite question that I ask every guest. If you could give one piece of advice to the young, hungry, next-gen advisor listening to this, and when I say young, I don't even necessarily mean age. I just mean like maybe new to the industry that wants to grow. Right. Not the person that's been in it for 30 years that's kind of resting on their laurels. If you give one piece of advice that young, hungry, growth-oriented advisor, what would it be? All right, it's gonna be one piece of advice, but it has two you components. Can, layer it. can yep. I cheat a little? Yes, it could be a multivariate answer. <laughs> outsource everything possible that's not core to helping you grow your business or deliver personalized advice. Don't try to be all things, all people. Um, and really focus on specialization and marketing to that that segment. I'm, so we're talking grow. So marketing, 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 which was my original background. Mm -hmm. um, so near and dear to my heart, that's, that's got to be the key. And you talked about some things like Facebook and all be, be having people on your team, that, not necessarily working for you, but on yeah. your on your, your broader team that knows that space inside and out, hy just hyper critical these days. Um, I see a lot of people wasting a lot of money and time barking up the wrong tree when it comes to, to growth strategies. So mm -hmm. being a, a you know, digital marketing um, you know, black belt and having people that can help you do that yeah. is absolutely number one. If, if you're talking growth, mm -hmm. you've got to do all the hard work of thinking about your client journey how do you onboard them? Look at onboarding as, as a process, not this, not account opening, but yep. how do I show how do you? bring you? them into the family. Right. Yeah. Um, and doing that at scale is important. And, and the tech facilitation of that is really important. And not, maybe I'll say it this way too. It's, it's like you said, bringing them in the family, spending more time up front doing that will pay off huge dividends because you're training them how to think about this relationship and taking the time to build the trust because then they're going to share more. It becomes this flywheel. Clients, there's a lot of research that, that shows clients will gladly share a lot of personal information with you if you use it effectively for them, show them how that plays back because then they're going to, you know, they're going to aggregate all their accounts yeah. share that with you. They're going to give you that transparency, but you have to deliver value against it. So outsource everything that you possibly can. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the second piece was get really good at digital marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second the second question, and it's in the same vein, and it might end up having a similar feel to the answer, but. I don't give short, simple answers. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I don't either. Uh, I have layers of complexity, Ron. <laughs> I, I just like 10,000 word answers. What's the advice that you'd give to the owner of a, of a firm today? Or if there's an, you know, executives listening that are part of you know, maybe a larger national organization, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them about what do they need to be doing and thinking and working on to win the future of advice? This one's easy. I can't give a one word answer. Okay. People, get, getting the right people, on the bus. It is 
it is everything, uh, culture, um, you know, as I get inside organizations, this, whether you're talking about a 50 person firm or 5,000, 50,000, this is the downfall of firms that are struggling. They, they tolerate um, people that are, are, especially management, that are not on the same page. They let things go and try to fix it. Like the, a lot of the people, these leaders, they're successful. They think they can fix things um, versus recognizing they just don't have the right people because you can have the best technology, you can do all every single thing we talked about today. And not have the right people. And you're not gonna execute. I say, I think on, on my website, strategy is easy, execution is hard, mm -hmm. right? Strategically, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, it's not, it's inarguable. Execution is hard, and most of that has to do with people that are not aligned or, or they're in the wrong position. Back to uh, organizational design, you might have people that are could be superstars, but they're in the wrong role. Yeah, You're asking them to do things that aren't mm -hmm. in their DNA. And, and so step back and think about that. Mm -hmm. But then certainly new talent acquisition, you talked about some of the, the capabilities out there. Spend the money, spend the time. Do the heavy do that, lifting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Years ago, uh, one of my mentors told me something to the effect, and I might be getting his quote wrong, but it's all right. It's something like, culture trumps strategy every day of the week. And he told me, hire for values and culture, train for the skills that you need. 100%. Um, and it's more difficult. It's it's uh, more difficult in practice than it is to it's say. It's really hard now. You know, I mean, as somebody who has roughly a 20-some person team, right, I'm starting to really recognize the value of having strong culture, right, and having a defined culture. Like, this is what LifeWorks means and stands for, and this is the type of people we are, because the farther away I get from being able to interact on a day-to-day -day basis with everybody on the team, which is really where I'm at now, right? We have to have that. It's really hard, and there's there's a, a dearth of talent. Yes. I mean, that's, that, that's the number one issue I hear from RAA owners and, and, and executives is, where's the talent? I need a COO, like we've outgrown where we are, I'm getting pulled into everything. I need somebody to kind of run the day-to-day -day so I can focus on the strategic um, you know, advisors, uh, home office. I think firms that hit that inflection point, and they, they've done an incredible job, but they've outgrown their, their talent yep. and their staffing. Hard time finding good people. Mm -hmm. They're such a the RIA channel, fastest growing channel year after year after year. Yep. And, and lacking the, the, the pool. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I think people and talent is gonna be maybe even more important than technology in the future. I think the technology will either be forced upon us kicking and screaming or we'll, we'll, we'll end up adopting the right pieces, but right. having the right people is. It is, I'd say a silver lining with, with COVID the past year and a half is firms are, are more thoughtful now about hiring for those those areas that you talked about, regardless of geography, because mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I won't say it's across the board, but there's more firms that are realizing we if, if we do a good job with culture, putting people in the right positions, 
they I don't need to see them in the office every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that is, a, that is a shift, right? right? I mean, I, you shift. know, that's that's something I talked about with 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 uh, Anders from Facet was they don't have a corporate right. office. Right. Everybody's virtual. Um, okay. Third, th the third question we'll end here, and then you can close us out with whatever thoughts. Um, I, I'm a big reader. I read everything. Um, your your weekly reader as well. What should uh, you know, advisors um, and, and again, leaders of RAAs that want to be thinking about or getting plugged into the future of advice and, and some of the things that you digest every day, right? And and um, put out in your weekly reader. But what are some of the things that advisors or, or um, people that they should be following on whether it's social media or reading their books? What are some of the things that we should be plugged into if we want to stay current or, or be running along at the same pace as opposed to the world changes around us and we wake up and go, how did all this stuff happen? There's so much out there. Social media. Yep. There's a lot of crap. So you got to cut through it to find the good stuff. But the good stuff is amazing. Um, you know, I've, I've taken it like a bookmark, a tweet, something that will make me think of something. I use, um, what do I use? Pocket to like save everything I see that might be interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't, don't just blanket things as bad like Twitter. Mm -hmm. There's some great content uh, and I've met people that now I consider friends, even some I haven't met in real life through, through Twitter, um, LinkedIn, not so much, uh, tw Twitter more so. Um, there's some great, I mean, th there's, podcasts and videos, what you're doing with Future Vice, fantastic. Um, obviously, you know, folks like Michael Kitsis, tons of amazing content. It's it's there. I mean, part of the problem is there's too much. Yes. Um, so I, I try to add value by distilling doing that work yeah. and then distilling it, it, it down. But that was your conferences. Weekly, is your weekly reader for anybody that subscribes, or is it for a subset of people? Or the, the, the focus is is uh, C-suited okay. RAs and and broker dealers, but it goes to family and friends and anybody that wants to put up with my my nonsense. So, um, so yeah, happy to share that with anybody. Um, conferences. Mm -hmm. I'm when hopeful, they come back. <laughs> I'm hopeful that we're coming back to those. Yeah. Um, you know, great sessions, but more importantly, the hallway conversations, yeah. the dinners, um, just, you know, talking to peers and, and being a sponge. And, you know, you're going to, for every five things you hear, four will probably not make any sense for you. But that one gem that you can say, oh, I can see how I can apply this. Um, they're out there. But, yeah, I mean, I think the trades, industry trades are getting, have gotten much better, not just reporting news, but even like having a voice around things like diversity and inclusion and being a little more proactive about. Intentional was the yeah. word you used. That's, yeah. that's the right word. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, that's, that's a positive I've seen just in the past two, three years. Awesome. Well, Gavin, I, I have enjoyed this conversation. You and I could go for hours about subsets yes. in, in artificial intelligence, uh, the people, the culture, the strategy. We'll definitely have you back on and maybe... Um, I'm going to turn the tables on you and get you on mine. <laughs> happy talk, to. Life works. Happy to. Um, but we'll definitely want to have you back on and we'll do a specific episode on on revenue growth strategies and, and some of the work you do there because I think that um, 
a lot of advisors, myself included, that are looking to grow um, might not necessarily have the background and the tools and the skill sets to think about building, you know, revenue models or business models, right? Because we were trained to pick up the phone and call a hundred people a day, and, and that was the model. So love to have you back and get your thoughts on that. Thank you for sharing some insights today for traveling into uh, the city, although you can't beat uh, hanging out here on a Wednesday afternoon. We're, we're going for a run now, right? Around the reservoir? Sure, why not? Uh, it's only 85. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for being here. Any final thoughts or uh, comments you want to share with, with the listeners before we sign off? No, Ron, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome, Gavin, thank you. All right, guys, that's it for another episode of The Future of Advice. My guest on today's episode is Gavin Spitzner. You can find him on LinkedIn, although, as he just said, Twitter is probably more appropriate. His handle there is at Gavin Spitzner. Um, Do check him out. I would highly encourage you to message him and ask to be added to his weekly uh, wealth management reader. I read it every uh, weekend. It can be anywhere from a 10-minute read to a 45-minute plus read, depending on how much content's in there. But he does a great job distilling it down somebody that you definitely should be following and um, staying connected with in the industry. And thank you once again for watching. My name is Ron Bullis, the founder of LifeWorks Advisors. Take care.